So we're into the fourth week of an incredible series. We've taken time to go through the the Easter story, and uh, we're doing it out of the Gospel of John. And one of the things which is just so powerful to do is just to hear uh, this account of the Easter story read. So each week we're having someone come and just read the passage before we get into it. So Sarah's teaching this morning, and uh, Leon Backer is coming up to read from John chapter 20. So Leon, come on up. Gospel of John, chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still do not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. 
Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you, Leon. Wow. What an amazing place to get to in our John study, isn't it? Who's excited about the resurrection today? (laughs) Me too. Me too. Super excited. And you know, there's a couple of ways that we could approach John 20 in terms of a sermon. We could come at it from uh, presenting all of the evidence, the proof of the resurrection. But you know what? People much smarter than me have done that, and it's all out there. You can find it if you need to. And actually, the video, the little video clip that we saw earlier by Lee Strobel, that is a great place to start. So if you're wanting to see the evidence, the proof, then um, look up Lee Strobel and his work, Case for Miracles, Case for Christ, Case for Easter, and probably a few other cases as well. I'm not too sure. But lots out there that you can that you can look at. So actually today, the way that we are going to enter into this story is we're going to come into it through through the premise or from the premise that it is true, right? That the resurrection really did happen and that Jesus really did die, that he really was embalmed, that he really was entombed and that he really did rise again from the dead by a direct miracle of God, Right? That's how we're coming at it today. Now, for many of you, you're like, well, good, because that's exactly where I'm at. And, you know, I believe it 100%. I'm here to celebrate the resurrection. Cool, you're a believer. And for some of you, you might be thinking, well, I don't know about this. And to you, I would say this. First of all, good job being here amongst a whole bunch of believers. (laughs) And secondly, for the next 30 minutes, would you do this? Would you enter in into the story through a particular door? And the door that I would encourage you to come in through is the door of a particular question. And that particular question is, what if it is true? What if it's true? And right now, before we even begin, we're going to pray. And I invite you, at this moment, to close your eyes and join me as we talk to God about what we're about to learn. 
Creator God, God of the heavens and the earth, we come here before you and we ask that you would move in this place. Almighty God who loves us, we pray that you would make your truth about Jesus known this morning. Move in power by your spirit, we pray, as we look at John 20 today. And we pray this in the powerful name of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All righty. So the story of the resurrection through the eyes, through the words of John, John the Apostle. You know he called himself the one that Jesus loved. He's like, well, there's 12 of us, but I am the one that Jesus loved. Isn't that funny? And, you know, I, I introduced myself to you. Hello, my name is Sarah. I'm the one Jesus loves. <laughs> and the man who gave his life to Jesus here this morning at the nine o'clock service, he said to Nick and I, he said, my name is James. I'm the one that Jesus loves. <laughs> Isn't that great? And John got that. He's, I'm the guy that Jesus loves. That's how he defined himself. And he says, let me tell you what happened. And so we enter into the story and he records in the story his own transformational moment. The moment when he saw and believed. Life-changing. That was the moment for him. But not only does he record his moment when he tells us the story, but he records some other moments. So within this, within this chapter, we get, uh, we get the story of one grieving woman and her transformational moment. We get the story of two guys, two friends, one of whom is, is John the writer and their transformational moment. And then we get the story of a group of friends and, and their transformational moment. And then we get the group of one lone skeptic and his transformational moment. And these are real life people who really lived on the real earth and real history and they really told their stories, you see, and we really get to look into them. And the interesting thing that I find about this is that for, for each of these people, not one of them, not a single one of them was expecting Jesus to be raised. This was not a case of confirmation bias. In fact, it was the total opposite. And there's this guy called Max Licardo, who you may know of. He's a fabulous author and speaker. And in a book that he wrote called He Chose the Nails, he says this, and he poses these questions and answers. He says, what was the number of times that Jesus prophesied that he would come back to life three days after his death? And the answer is three. Okay, so he said it three times. He said, what was the number of the apostles who heard the prophecy? All of them. They all heard. And then he says, what was the number of apostles who waited at the tomb to see if he would do what he said? Guess the answer. <laughs> Zero. Not a single one of them. So not one of them was expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead and waiting there to see it happen. All right? And so let's enter into these stories. First character, Mary. Mary, she's known as Mary Magdalene. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is another lady. And she's from a place called um, Magdala. And so she was known as Mary the Magdalene, Mary, Mary, Mary Magdalene. And she was quite famous. Her testimony, her story was famous amongst the disciples. You see, she had, before she met Jesus, this poor woman, she was possessed by seven demonic spirits. Her life must have been a shambles. Her mind must have been a shambles. Everything must have been chaos for that woman. And she met Jesus and she was released 100% from the demonic 
awesome, eh? So no wonder her story was known. And she became a follower of Jesus from that day. And she was part of the inner circle of Jesus' friends. And she would travel. A bunch of women traveled with their disciples. And, and they even paid for their needs and so forth, and the needs of the ministry. And so she's known Jesus for a long time. And she was last at the cross. And here she's first at the tomb. And she comes when it's early on Sunday morning. So early that it's still dark. You know that time of day? It it smells a certain way, doesn't it? It's a beautiful time of day. And she comes when it's still dark. And actually, the other gospel writers that say that Mary was not alone, that she came with some of those other women who were part of this, and and they come with spices to anoint the dead body of Jesus. Now, this is Sunday morning. So, On Friday, Jesus had died, and he'd been embalmed, and he'd been put in the tomb. His body was put in the tomb. That was Friday. Saturday, in the middle there, was the Jewish Sabbath, where you couldn't do any work. And so you don't see the disciples doing anything there. Everybody's just on hold for for a day. And now we come in, and it's Sunday morning. And now this is the first we see in terms of the action of the disciples post the cross. And here's Mary with some women, and they come to put spices on the dead body. And when she gets there, Mary finds to her astonishment that the stone that had been over the face of the tomb has gone. And she wasn't expecting that. And it's dark and she doesn't go in and she assumes the worst. She assumes that someone has come and taken away Jesus' corpse. There's no other logical explanation because dead people stay dead, don't they? Right? And poor Mary, think of what she's just gone through the last couple of days. This is the last straw. Really, she did not need any more. And now now not even his body is left to lie in peace. Seriously? Yeah? And she doesn't know what to do, and she's distraught. And so she just runs. She runs back. She leaves the tomb, and she runs back to the disciples. And she comes to two of those disciples. She comes to Peter, and she comes to John, the guy who wrote the story we're reading, the one who Jesus loved, right? She comes to Peter and John, and she's distraught, and she says, they've taken, they, who knows who they are, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. And after she's told them, they take off, and we'll get to them in a minute, right? But after she's told them, she slowly makes her way back to the tomb. And if she'd been British, she might have had a cup of tea first. But we don't know if she did that. And so she slowly makes her way back to the tomb. And this time as she's walking toward the tomb, she knows that Jesus is missing. And this time she gets there and she's weeping and she peers into the tomb and there in the tomb, there in the tomb she sees two angels sitting there, sitting where Jesus' body had been laid. One is at the head, one is at the feet. And you may or you may not know about the amazing Jewish structure called the Jewish Ark of the Covenant. 
You know, it's that wooden and golden box that the Israelites kept in the Holy of Holies, in that most holy place in the temple. And, and that ark had, had two massive statues of angels that were on either side that were leaning over and framing the mercy seat, the top of the ark. They were framing the mercy seat, the place where sin is atoned for, where sin is forgiven, where sin is taken away, the mercy seat that was splattered with the blood of the sacrificial lamb, these two mighty angelic beings framing, framing. And Mary looks in and there's these two mighty angelic beings framing. Mercy, forgiveness, and they speak to her. Can you imagine? They speak to her. And she responds. She says to them, they've taken him away. And I don't know where he is. And she turns her back on the angels. She turns her back on the angels. And that amazes me. And I'm interested to see that she's not all caught up with them. She's not all caught up in the supernatural and the mystical. And and she, she just wants Jesus. And she's just nothing else. Nothing else takes her attention. Nothing else takes her passion. She just wants her Lord. Where is he? Tell me where he is. I'll go and get him. She just wants Jesus. And as she turns... Who should be standing there but Jesus himself? He's standing right there. The one she wants. And guess what? She doesn't recognize him. And you might think, what? What? She doesn't recognize him? But think about it for a minute. She wasn't expecting him. (laughs) Was she? She so was not expecting him. She was going to have to go find him and somehow drag him back. He wasn't going to just show up and stand there in front of her. No way. And so she wasn't expecting him. And guess what? Our beliefs and our expectations, they can blind us to the truth that is standing right there in front of us. Because we're not expecting it. So there's one reason why she may not have realized it was him. Another reason is, you know what? She was really emotional. She was really upset right now. Have you thought straight when you're really upset? Probably not. And her eyes are probably swollen. And and you know what? Grief blinds us sometimes, doesn't it? Grief can blind us and we don't want to know and we don't want to believe that there are truths about what happens after death. And the third thing, Another reason why she may not have recognized him is that Jesus was there in his resurrection body. And and as we read the Bible, we learn things about the resurrection body, but there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we don't know about how they appear, how they might appear differently, and and how it all works, and and what you look like when you're in your resurrection body. And, and, And it's clear that Jesus obviously does not appear exactly as he did before. She doesn't know it's him. And then Jesus says a particular word, doesn't he? And he says this to her, he says, Mary, he says her name. 
And now she looks at him fully in the face and she recognizes him. Boy, does she recognize him. And she, she cries out in her heart language, in Aramaic, she cries out, Rabboni! It means teacher. It means master. And can you imagine if, so, if one of my loved ones died and was raised from the dead and stood in front of me, I'd want to grab them. I'd want to hold them. I'd want to touch them. And Jesus, I think she wanted to, because he says to her, he says, Mary, don't hold on to me. <clears throat> don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. There's something she's got to learn here, right? You see, she's not to cling. She's not to hold on to who she used to know him as, as teacher, as rabbi, as miracle worker, as physical He's yet to ascend to the Father. That's what this is all about. Because he's going there to reconcile us to the Father. Don't, don't hold on. And, and, and when faced with the resurrection facts about Jesus, you've got to let go of old ideas about Jesus. When you're faced with the resurrection facts about Jesus, you've got to let go of your old ideas about Jesus. Maybe that he is a holy man, equal maybe to the Dalai Lama or something. Or maybe that he's a religious figure that hangs on wooden crosses in churches. Or maybe that he was a miracle worker of strange powers who's now dead or whatever your views were of Jesus. You see, the resurrection changes everything. And Jesus says, let go of your old version of me and receive me. I am the one who reconciles to the Father. Isn't that awesome? And so Mary is not to hold on to Jesus in this pre-ascended state. And instead, Jesus sends her. He says to her, don't hold on to me. Instead, go to my brothers and tell them. Jesus wants the boys to know. Go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father. My God and your God. How much was one on the cross? My father, your father. My God, your God. And so Mary does. Yeah? And it's like, it's like Jesus is saying to Mary, you gotta go and tell them this because guess what? I've done it. I have completed the marathon and now I'm about to burst through the ribbon at the end, at the finish line, and I'm gonna ascend into heaven as the victorious one and don't stop me now, Mary. Don't hold on to anything less than the resurrected Saviour. He's the one we worship. He's our God. And so Mary, she hightails it. She's out of there and she's the first missionary. Wow. And off she goes and she goes to the disciples and she's got a message for them. And she goes bursting in there and she says, I've seen the Lord. Seen him. Eyewitness. I've seen him. And so we go to the story of Peter and John. The two friends, Peter and John. Peter and John, um, after Mary had first run back to them and told them, they had run to the tomb. They had gone really, really fast to the tomb, and I think they were probably going, holding on to that question, what if, what if it's true? What if what Jesus had told us before, what if it's true? And they run and they run, and don't you love how John goes, and I'm the one that won the race? 
And it's so important. I need to get into the Gospels. <laughs> John the writer. And, and who won John? Oh, John won. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and you know what? He should have won. He was like 20 years younger than Peter and much smaller. So <laughs> Peter was like over the hill in his mid-30s by that stage. So it was not a fair race whatsoever. But anyway, we're still, still important. John won. And, and do you remember in our, st- in our study in the book of John, do you remember what we last read about Peter? Do you remember where he was and what was going on? The last we read of, of Peter was that Jesus in his trial, Peter denied Jesus behind the scenes three times. Three times. And remember the rooster crowed and Jesus looked at him and he was just crestfallen and he went out into the night and he was broken failure in his own mind as a man and and don't you love how that when you come here you read that John was with Peter oh John John the one who I'm the one Jesus loves see when you're loved you can love and John his identity he was the loved one of Jesus and so he was there loving the guy who'd blown it don't we need more Johns folks don't we need more Johns? Peter was an impulsive doer. John was a contemplative thinker. They were different. I wonder which one you're more like. Both of them came to a point of belief in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And they get to the tomb. John gets there first. You know, run the race. He gets there first, but he doesn't go in. He's the thinker. He stands there. He looks. He considers. Peter arrives moments later and he runs straight in. And it makes me think of like CSI, don't disturb the crime scene kind of stuff. But he just doesn't care. He's in there. And they see, what they see is strips of linen lying there. They see the burial clothes that had been around Jesus' body lying there and separate what had been wrapped around his head as the burial clothes lying there separate from the parts from the other part of the, of the body and you know what nothing speaks death more than burial clothes you know if there's there's no hope once you're wrapped do you know what I mean it's like a coffin it's like a hearse burial clothes that's it nothing changes after that and they look in there and the burial clothes are empty empty we talk about empty tombs empty burial clothes I think that's wonderful. And I just, man, I want to know, did he just rise up? Were they laid there just like as a human form? Do you know what I mean? Or what? We don't know. But we, we hear the detail of the separate this and separate that because John's the eyewitness. He says, I saw it. And John goes in too, and then he recounts his own precious, amazing, transformational moment of belief. And he writes about it, and he writes about it sort of in the third person. He speaks about himself, and he says, he saw and believed. That was John's moment where he saw and believed. The contemplator, the thinker, sees and believes. And then Peter and John, they hurry back to tell the other disciples. Remember, it's Sunday, isn't it, in the story? And that was in the morning, and now it's night time. And the disciples are all together in this room, and, and it's locked. And they're really afraid. I mean, they're afraid of the people who put Jesus to death. If they're, if they're able to do that... Unfairly, what else are they capable of? And so, so you'd appreciate that they're afraid. And so the doors are locked, and there they are all together. And they've heard Mary's story, and they've heard Peter and John's stories. And I guess they're holding that question: What if it's true? 
what if it is? And then all of a sudden, Jesus just appears among them, and, and he's there, he's right there, and he shows them his wounds. And this whole resurrection body thing where people can walk through walls and stuff, bring it on, right? Isn't that cool? And he's standing right there, and he's showing them his wounds, and they are, like we have been today, overflowing with joy, the Bible tells us. So good. And then he says to them, he says, peace be with you. Peace. And I like to think of it like this. It's like Jesus is the one who's come back with news from the battlefield. And he's been there. He's been at the war. He's been at the war with sin and evil. And he says, it's over. Peace has been declared. The battle is over. And I won. And he's standing there. I won. Peace. Peace. And back in Isaiah, there's prophecy about this. When prophesied about, they said about Jesus, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Because why? Because again in Isaiah 53, 5, it says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. Peace. Peace, I bring you. Everyone wants peace. Everyone wants peace. Everyone wants peace, inner peace, outer peace. It's like we all recognize at some level that we are at war. And mantras and mysticism and meditation and medication and yoga retreats and silent retreats and personal retreats and and cleansing ceremonies and crystals, and they all promise peace. But I want to tell you something. None of those things can deliver peace. And I'll tell you two reasons why they cannot deliver peace. And the first reason is because the problem of lack of peace, the reason that we are in turmoil, is sin. Because of sin, we are at war with God, we are at war with self, and we are at war with the world and those around us. And none of those other things has the power to deal with sin. So they can't. So they make promises that they can't deliver on. And that's why if you've tried those things and they've failed, there's a very good reason. They were never set up to deal with it. Another reason why they fail is that the Bible says that the creator God, the God of the Bible, is the God of all peace. All peace is his. He possesses. It belongs to him. It's in his hands. So he alone can give it. Peace comes through him. You know, you can't force another person to be at peace with you. Have you ever noticed that? You can go to someone and say, I come in peace. You can do the peace sign to them, do what you like. But really, their response is up to them. And we are offered peace with God through Jesus Christ. In the Bible, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is your response? Your response is your response. It's up to you. As God offers you peace today, right now, what is your response to him? Will you receive this peace today? You'll have the chance to do that in a moment. And so Jesus declares peace to his disciples and he sends them out with the gospel, the good news of this peace. 
And so the apostles and now the church has the ministry of announcing heaven's terms on how a person can receive forgiveness for their sins and therefore peace with God. And so the wonderful thing is that if you're sitting here today and you say, I today want to receive forgiveness for my sin and peace with God. I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ today. And if you do that here today, then we as a church can declare to you on the authority of the word of God that your sins are forgiven. That is flipping remarkable. We don't get to provide forgiveness. We get to proclaim forgiveness. What a privilege. And you see, it's only through the forgiveness of your sin that you receive peace. So that was on the Sunday night, the resurrection night. And then we meet Thomas. Where was Thomas on that Sunday night? He was missing. All his friends were gathered together. Why wasn't Thomas there with the others? And now another whole seven days goes by and we we meet Thomas and the disciples together again on the Sunday, that following Sunday. And I'm sure Thomas has heard all about it. I'm sure that all the boys have told him and and the girls have told him and they've told him their stories and so on. And, And yet we know that he didn't believe. And I wonder if he also was holding that question, what if it is true? But he just didn't, he didn't believe. And he said, you know what, I want some proof. And so he was there the following Sunday night and and Jesus showed up again and and the doors are locked and don't you just love how that Jesus showed up where they were gathered together. And right from here, the believers gathered on Sundays, right from here. As we gather today, we're doing what started then. And you know what? When you're not here, you miss out. And my encouragement to you is don't miss out. Gather with the people of God. Jesus shows up. When the people of God come together, it's what he does. He did it for the first two Sundays. Why would we doubt he'd do it today? And the doors are locked and he just shows up. And there he is. And he knows that that Thomas doesn't believe. And so he invites him. Touch test, Thomas. And we don't actually know if Thomas did touch. But that's really not very important. Jesus stood there in front of him and said, look. And then Jesus said these amazingly important words to Thomas. He said, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas, the one who hadn't believed, believes. And was it a rush of emotion or was it a rush of reason or was it some kind of combo? And then Thomas believes and and he looks at Jesus and he goes, my Lord and my God. You see, he believed in his heart and he declared with his mouth. And he was now a follower of the resurrected Saviour. And Jesus receives those titles because he owns those titles. My Lord and my God. And John says, these things that you've just been reading are written so that you may believe. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You know, there will always be more questions 
There'll always be more probing you can do, more touch testing. There'll always be more evidence and proof that you can look for. And it's not wrong to look, but there's a point at which Jesus says, belief's the choice. Stop doubting. Believe. You have enough. And John says to us, you have enough. These things are written that you may believe. And Jesus says, you have enough. Here I am. Believe. And this is a choice that you can make. Every one of us can make right here, right now. And I wonder if right here, right now, you're sitting here and you're thinking, I believe. I do, I believe. And I'm going to invite you in a prayer where you can, you can speak that to God from your heart. You, you can speak it out loud or you can speak it in the silence of your heart. But where you can say to God, I do believe. I really do. And you can ask God for the forgiveness of your sin and therefore the peace of God and the life of God for yourself. This is not a spectator sport. This is not somewhere where you watch other people. This is personal. And I just ask if right now we'd shut our eyes. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. And if for you, this is your moment where you're saying, I believe, then just follow me and agree in this prayer, out loud or quietly, as you put your faith in Jesus Christ right now. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in payment for my sin. And I believe that he was raised to life out of the tomb by a miracle. And God, I ask, please forgive me for all of my sin. I turn away from it. Please give me your peace and your life. And I declare right now, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. And I will live for you and follow you from now on. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, I would encourage you during communion, which we're going to share in a minute, to just come and have a chat to Nick or me down here at the front and just say, I prayed that prayer. And we would love to meet you and we would love to bless you in Jesus' name. Let's stand as we worship now. Oh, praise the name of the Lord.